You're listening to the Own the Build podcast, where each week, Paul Hemming from C-Link interviews experts on how SME developers and contractors can transform their business through intelligent construction management. Hello and welcome to episode 42 of the Own the Build podcast with me, Paul Herring, and back in the hot seat, Liam Curley. How are you, Kels? Where have you been? I'm great, Paolo. Just uh, not been anywhere exciting, but I've got a cream soda here, so... What, that you're, that you're, that you're, ch- that you're chuggy on right now? Yeah, I couldn't be happier. <laughs> He's a simple man, guys, I've told you before. If it's not a dandelion and burdock, it is a cream soda. That's no, all you need drink, to keep Kels drink, happy. I don't drink but dandelion and burdock. I don't know how many times I want to tell you this. <laughs> it doesn't matter how many times you tell me, I'm still going to tell everyone who drink dandelion and burdock and cream soda. I can see that our guest is thoroughly enjoying that. So let, let's, let's introduce him. So today, our episode is titled, What Working at a Big Developer Teaches You About Being a Small Developer. We're joined by Ben Richards, who is director of Aura Homes, who are both an SME property developer and an award-winning architectural design company. Welcome to the show, Ben. Do you like dandelion and burdock, or do you like cream soda? <laughs> I don't like either, and uh, yeah, thanks oh, for having me. Lo- yeah. Hello, Ben. We're going to have a good show. I'm not a fan of either, to be honest, as well. So it's just, I knew no. Kells was this unique, unusual bloke, and we've just proven it. He's out well, I never, I never suspected it was, you know, it's not mainstream drink, but... It's okay, it's more for me. I mean, I, I couldn't tell you what a dandelion and burdock is, if I'm honest. <laughs> Maybe we need to go out to the pub and try one. I think Should it we? tastes like licorice, from what I yeah. recall. Oh, that's a definite no, then. It's yeah. a definite no, I agree. So, welcome to the show, Ben. It's great to have you here. The re- you. One of the reasons I, um, I was first interested to reach out to you and have a conversation with you is... I uh, read your article in the uh, Candor magazine, um, so I wanted to invite you on the show. The, the initial reason why I was drawn to that article is there was a lovely photo of you at Battersea Power Station, or on the site adjacent to Battersea Power Station, and that, that was my last job before I set up ceiling. So I thought, you know, I'll have someone to reminisce with and talk about yeah, the good poor, old times. Poor you. Yeah, well, <laughs> I, was, I was fortunate enough to... Uh, were, were you on the one that was about twice over budget? Uh, yes. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. uh, you've, you've met before? No, we, we, I don't think you, because you were on um, Riverlight, is that right? Which is like the adjacent site. Yeah, I was on Riverlight and I was also on Prince of Wales Drive, which is just, just down the road, basically. So Riverlight's halfway down Nine Elms, Prince of Wales Drive's at the sort of Battersea end of it. And I worked on both of those, yeah. Because cause River Light was, so if you, that road down Nine Elms down to Battersea, when I was started walking down it in 2011, it was all brownfield effectively, it was all building sites, so there's absolutely nothing there. It's completely different now, but River Light was one of the first jobs that came along and with all those apartments going up, and I did remember thinking at the time, wow, who's going to want to live here for the next <laughs> five or six years while, surrounded by building sites, but... You were on that job. I was. I was next door. So uh, our paths were always going to cross at some point. Could have been in a previous life, but here we are today. And yes, the job was over budget. But no, Liam, it was not my fault. Hang on, hang on, hang on. You say it was your last job. Is that a result of you being? Uh... 
<laughs> so I it, was my, <laughs> it wasn't leaving you know, by chance. I like to go out on a high. So can you imagine the last, what the last episode of Run the Build is going to be like? It's going to be an absolute firestorm. <laughs> yeah. No, yeah, it was. A, I've got uh, to say that Riverlight was an extremely successful project, and the Berkeley Group did a fantastic job of getting in there early and being the start of all of that new development in Nine Elms. I mean, I walk down there now and just can't believe how much it's come up and all these buildings coming out of the ground. Yeah, it's insane. Really good. It was nice to be part of that. Yeah. No, I mean, the whole area is com- it's completely changed, that's for sure. And all, all of the projects that I was involved in were very successful. So <laughs> anyway, we, we have digressed enough about how bad a QS uh, Liam likes to paint me as being. <laughs> well, welcome to the show, Ben. And, and so for the context, uh, introduce yourself, introduce your business and, and what, you, what you do. Sure, cool. So my uh, my background has always been in architecture and engineering. I studied exactly that at Cardiff, then went to work for some small architectural practices, doing structural engineering in-house as well. Um, so I've got a good understanding of how buildings are built. Spent four years working on small residential house extensions, conversions, things like that, um, some small new builds. Um, then took a different leap into the world of property development on a larger scale. So worked for the Berkeley Group for three years. In Battersea, I actually only worked on those two projects that I mentioned, so Riverlight and um, Prince of Wales Drive, um, but learned a hell of a lot because one was at one end of the spectrum being finished off, occupied with Riverlight, and then at Prince of Wales Drive, it was all coming out of the ground, planning stages, you know, all of, all of that front end stuff to kind of optimize schemes and, and try to eke a bit more value out of them. Left the corporate life with the Berkeley Group in 2017 to set up an architectural practice of my own. And that's been running for four and a half years, as you sort of rightly said earlier, or architecture. Um, and also a year after that, set up my own property development business. So Aura is a standalone architectural practice. XP Property is my property development business, which is a, a um, a partnership between myself and Jack Jiggins, my business partner. Excellent, excellent. And what made you take the leap initially to go to Berkeley Group? What was that? What was driving you initially to make that change in your career at that time? Yeah, I wanted a different challenge. I, I'd I'd been a, for want of a better term, a sort of CAD monkey, really churning out planning applications building regulation packages for for these smaller projects Um, and the role of technical coordinator came up and it it sounded really really interesting so that sort of intermediary between all parties within the business coordinating the design and um, really sort of driving the design forward and for working you know at a a renowned property developer like the Berkeley Group it was sort of something too good to to miss out on Um, so I joined what's called their technical academy I don't know if they still do that but it was kind of a fast track system to kind of bring you through um, show you all elements of the the business um, and then fit you into a role as a, a technical coordinator basically uh, but yeah it's um, it was a new challenge different scale of project that I'd ever worked on before um, and I just wanted something something different and and in your role as technical coordinator there on those two projects that you mentioned what were you honing your skills doing so that role is intermediary between the sales team, making sure that what we are selling is what we're building and what's got planning approval, etc. Um, we liaise with the commercial team to make sure that what we're designing has been budgeted for. We work with the land and planning team to make sure that we're adhering to all of the planning conditions and, and that we're designing to what, what we've got planning approval for. And, and basically liaising with the build team when things get on site to make sure that we're dealing with any requests for information um, and ultimately a coordination job of all of the external consultants so as an internal sort of part of the technical team 
we outsource all of the design to the architects, the engineers, the landscape architects, the interior designers. And our role is to basically pull everything together and make it as robust and as cost efficient as possible um, while still kind of creating a fantastic product that the Berkeley Group is known for. Got you. So you're really coordinating the entire design process to make sure that what you're selling is actually getting delivered and it's getting delivered on budget and to the standard that you wanted to. Yeah, I mean, there's a lot of parties because we everything comes via the technical team. So you've got a lot of people to please. So you've got a sales and marketing team saying, oh, you know, we want the top spec of this. We want this. We've got the commercial team saying, oh, we can't afford that. Um, we need to kind of value engineer it. Um, and then we've got the build team saying... Because we're over budget, guys. We're <laughs> over budget. There you go. We've got the build team saying this can't be built or, you know, we think there's a easier, cheaper way of doing it. And, and how do we make that work? So, you know, it was a lot of firefighting with Riverlight, especially because it was on site. So it was constant you know things aren't coordinated properly we need to go back to the architect and the engineer to make sure that the i mean i had probably three months working on um, fan coil units and access hatches and how delightful oh yeah that was my introduction to the berkeley group thank you very much um (laughs) but you know it's it taught me a lot about how kind of different parties within that whole process need to be aligned and coordinated and, and the communication that needs to happen between them which was you know great in a way and you then Three years later, I think you said, decided, you know what, I've learned enough and I want to set up an architectural practice on my own. Is that what was the feeling at that moment in your career? Yeah, again, I, I think after three years, I'd, I'd learned a lot working for the Berkeley Group. Um, but the real kind of instigator of the move was that I'd embarked on my own personal property development. So I'd, I'd owned a, an end terrace property, got planning permission for a two-story um, sort of two-bed house on the side, new build. Um, and in my kind of evenings and weekends, project managed the whole delivery of that, raised the finance, got it through planning, did the detailed design, project managed it um, and completed it and uh, refinanced the the sort of two properties put a bit of a you know a decent buffer in my bank account and a week later handed in my notice with the Berkeley group it was sort of the the real kind of nail in the coffin to say I want to do more of this I want to build my own business I want to build more um, you know properties and develop property myself and that was it really that was that was me saying goodbye and, and a new journey starting amazing and, and so you'd effectively honed all of your skills and thought now is the time to take the leap well, you, you seem to come from a quite unique, not necessarily unique to property developers. I'm sure there's property developers that come from a similar background to yourself. But the fact that you have that design expertise personally must be a great advantage to you as a as a developer because that is almost always outsourced as far as I see it, at least in the early stages of being a property developer. Yeah, I mean, we still outsource some of the, you know, some of the architectural work, but ultimately I'm kind of that driving force to coordinate it. Again, it's it's that overseeing. Um, the beauty of my background is that I have an early insight into what's possible. So my business partner who's more of the land and acquisition side of the business will come to me with a plot or an op, you know a property and say you know what can we get out of this or what 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 are your views on what's possible um, and not a lot of other developers maybe have that so they then have to pull in a, a separate architectural practice to do that um, so I think that's probably the biggest benefit of having my background it's also a bit of thought, a thorn in my side because 
I've actually loved over the past three or four years growing businesses as opposed to getting involved in the nitty gritty of the technical side of things. So some sometimes I don't want to do <laughs> that tech. You know, I, I kind of stepped away from the Berkeley group from a technical um, background, um, but there's parts of my role now that... I would rather not be doing dealing with party wall disputes and some of the, you know, interior design furnishings and, you know, stuff like that actually isn't of interest to me much anymore, as opposed to, again, finding sites and building businesses. Okay. And so we, I mean, remarkably, we've almost whizzed through the entire first half of the show without even talking about what we wanted to drill into. So perhaps after, after the break, what we'll talk about is the things that you learn and how we can then apply them. Liam, do you have anything on your mind before we go to that break? Oh, let's go go to the break and uh, get on to the next set of questions. <laughs> uh, Matt, he's, he's, uh, I, I knew that cream soda would occupy him. We've, we've lost him. <laughs> that's, that's cool. So we'll, let's jump in right after this break. Own Build is brought to you from our sponsor, C-Link. Software used by developers and main contractors to manage subcontract procurement in one place. Find subcontractors, automate tenders and contracts, control construction program, compare prices, and improve project profitability with C-Link. To find out more, head to c-link.com. Now back to the show. So welcome back to the show. In this second half, what we want to talk about with Ben is how his time at the Berkeley Group shaped uh, and influences what he now does for SME property development. So in the uh, article that I was reading, Ben, which initially led to me speaking with you, you kind of focused on five or six things that you learned and that you apply to your SME property development business. And the first one was focusing on the customer journey outside. Can you describe what you mean by that? Sure. I mean, that was probably top of the list of everything that we did um, with the design um, of our flats and the whole development itself, because ultimately what Berkeley is renowned for is the customer journey and the quality of um, product that they produce. So from the moment you step out of your car to the front entrance door of your flat, um, and then you know the flow through the apartment, that was very, very um, important in in what we designed. Ultimately, if you've got all that way through to your flat and you haven't thought that's annoying or this door didn't open properly or there's no wayfinding in the basement or, you know, we've, we've done our job right. We kind of have designed it in a way where you haven't found a snag or you haven't thought this could have been done better. And I get that a lot when I go to other developments where, you know, maybe, and this was a big one, I think I mentioned it in the um, in the magazine, but um, shower valves being in a position where you're not getting your arm wet when you're turning on the shower. Um, that to me is such a minor thing, but that was it. That was a huge golden rule with the Berkeley Group. Um, and when you think about it, and when I say this to people, they're like, oh God, yeah, that actually makes loads of sense. But when they go into their shower, they're like, oh, my valve's underneath the head of the shower. So yeah, I do exactly that. I turn it on and I jump out of the way. And it's, it's little details like that, that you don't notice aren't there until they're 
not there. And that's what the Berkeley Group was so good about, um, thinking about the whole user experience and the customer journey straight from the moment they enter the site all the way through to, you know, living and sitting down in their flat. I mean, that makes total sense, doesn't it? The uh, the thing with the shower, and you've got me thinking about my uh, my shower now. <laughs> but- I, I get yeah, you, you'll be looking at it everywhere you go now. Yeah, well, my, my sister lives in a Berkeley Group uh, flat, so I'll, I'll be sure to uh, check it out there. And, I mean, the standard of the and, the and the quality, there is a distinct level above with many other developments that you go into. Is there anything else that, in a similar fashion to the, the shower valves that they they focus on, that is in like their their handbook almost for how they build and how they design? Yeah, I mean, I think they were very much kind of Tony Pidgeley-isms, sort of things that evolved. So things like the shower, um, having his and hers do- uh, coat hooks on on the back of bathroom doors, um, you know, his and hers sinks where you can. And it was just the extra level of detail that they would go to to make sure that the that, that user experience is as good as it can be, as well as kind of driving down contractor prices and getting things really cheaply and having that value of scale and um, buying power to kind of deliver schemes at a good price like they'd spend the money on things that made that user experience worthwhile because ultimately they see it as a product i think um, a lot of house builders see them as you know homes or um, you know houses whereas i think the view is that we are selling a product here and, and we have to present that in everything that we do we are a brand a large brand that is worldwide um, known worldwide for for that quality um, and it needs to be presented in everything that they do ben I was going to ask just on that, were there any specific research techniques that they used to identify problems like that? So identify the problem that, you know, your wrist gets wet or you if you're trying to turn the, the, the shower on. Yeah, I mean, I think they've been in the business for, yeah, 40 years in the business learning these things. And, and there is a high level of detail from upper level management you know tony pidgeley himself would be on site at five o'clock in the morning doing a walk around and pointing out the things that are crap or things that need changing and you know the showrooms that we create might have two rounds of refurbishment because the first showroom that's been seen gets inspected by the managing director and um he points out a few things and then tony pidgeley himself or would have you know come and and done a second round and um had other comments to make whereby we had to change things and redo them and i think just the expectation of, of all the management in particular is that all of these things need to be perfect attention to detail counts effectively yeah and it's come it's come about through 40 years of trial and error i guess and and you talk you going back to what you mentioned there about showrooms, show flats, whatever you want to call them. Now, obviously, company the scale and size of the Berkeley Group that's standard practice to have the showrooms, show flats. Given you have your own property development business and showrooms and show flats can come with an expense. It's 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 more expensive to be things slightly out of sequence from a construction perspective and potentially from design and so on. Is that something that you now insist on is that something that you wholeheartedly believe in having been a Berkeley group and seeing them do it I kind of agree with you in terms of the size of the project for for two units it's just not worth creating or, or you know finishing one flat faster than the other um, having said that we've sold two flats in Reading recently where we did put furniture in and and create a you know show apartment because 
we felt like it would attract the right types of buyers and sell faster. Um, and it did. And we ended up selling that furniture pack on to the buyer. Um, so it might have cost us four, four grand to furnish, but we got an extra six grand out of the um, resale because of it was a first time buyer and they didn't have furniture. So it was perfect. You know, we said, look, add X amount onto the purchase price and you can keep the furniture and we don't have to remove it and faff around and we get extra money, um, make a profit on the furnishing. So it has a time and a place. I think you do have to have a decent size. I mean, I would say probably you'd want at least 10 units to be then doing a um, a show flat and whether or not you bring that forward in delivery is project specific. What I would do is create CGIs that present all of that furnishing so that things can be sold off plan as quickly as possible. And I think that was definitely something that came as a surprise to me with the Berkeley Group or um, the Prince of Wales Drive project that I worked on because I joined when it was mud, you know, um, very much kind of early stages, just got through the planning process. Um, and almost within the first three months of working with them, we were creating CGIs and marketing brochures to sell overseas. And I was like, we haven't put a spade in the ground. We've only just got planning approval. Why, why are we starting this so early? But ultimately it takes that two years to sell the amount of units that we have. It was 955 units. So it was a lot of, lot of flats over an eight year program. But we were designing some of our flats it was, it was backwards. We were creating CGIs for the brochures and the marketing material before we'd finished designing some of the flats. So our pool and spa area, we, we, we chose an angle of camera for the CGI that showed just enough to kind of give the sense of what the space is, but kept out of picture the final spa and sauna area because we don't know what that's going to look like yet. So it was very much alien to me but i completely understand why they do it because it takes a long time to sell that many flats and they have to you know produce that marketing material very very early yeah and I, I, if i go back to the Battersea power station phase one project before we had even started on it i was a subcontractor and before we had um but an early stage subcontractor before we had even started on it they'd sold 850 flats i think it was a, a record at the time they sold them five years before we were even due to be finished on site so I understand that that happens and I totally get it with these bigger organisations. It's just how then does that translate down to what you do now? How 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 do you take it down yourself? How how do you see that process? Yeah, we 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 would create CGIs and we would try and sell off plan. I wouldn't recommend doing show flats unless you've got a decent quantum of units. I, more than 10 more than 20 yeah how, how, i would say more than 10 I, th- I think 10 is like probably the minimum that you would warrant getting creating a show flat i.e bringing it forward in the phasing yeah and potentially if you're selling to first-time buyers as well because then you have the opportunity to then sell the furniture pack which is again another thing that if you think about a lot of the bigger developers the furniture pack is actually an added margin that they throw into their product isn't it they sell it to everyone or they offer it as part of the process don't they so that does make sense with first-time buyers as well i think a lot of them will have good connections with furniture companies whereby they get kickback for any upsell that they can present to to the buyers of the units um and that's definitely something for smes to look at because it's money for nothing really you're kind of giving your buyer a better product and getting some money out of it as well so i think for smes um there are some very cheap ways of attracting 
um, sales on your units off plan and early in the process and that would be CGIs. One thing that we've thought about doing but haven't done yet that I think is very useful is if you have finished your units but don't want to spend four or five grand furnishing it is to for probably 200 pounds virtually stage the professional photos so you're going to get professional photos done for the empty units but actually what gets people through the door is seeing a furnished um, flat you can very quickly via online do photoshopping virtual staging of sofas finishes tables doors furniture and that's a very cheap way of kind of creating something that's going to get more footfall they might be disappointed when they open the door like oh i thought there was a table and chairs in here but um ultimately you've got them through the door and they're looking at the space so you kind of tick that box okay yeah yeah that makes sense now one of the next things that you talk about in this article and this is a bit of a tongue twister for me so i'm going to try my best to get this out but it's so you talk regarding design you talk about regularization regularization <laughs> regularization it's a bit like when tony blair said education 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 but regularization 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 what do you mean by that in the context of design you've done well saying that three times in a row um it, it's I, basically I i'm it feeling is, a little bit wheezy now and sit down <laughs> you need some cream soda um it's something that is very yeah. much a um again something that the berkeley group do extremely well and that is um, both optimization and regularization um when you've got 855 units an extra 200 pounds that you spend on a slightly different variety of door handle on a kitchen is a significant amount of money the more standardization of kitchen the more standardization of bathroom you can implement within those 855 units the cheaper it's going to be for you to build and that's essentially it regularization means keeping as many elements the same as much as we possibly can on the two schemes that i worked on we used bathroom pods so they were shipped in from italy it's basically a prefabricated pod where it comes fully tiled fully sealed fully um, all the sanitary wear installed it's basically a plug and play into um, a soil pipe and it job done. Now, the quality of that product is fantastic. The installation is extremely fast. There's no wet trades on site. So you're, it's just far less messy um, and it's far less trades on site as well because it's one person to push it into place and connect it up. That's one area of regularization that they did extremely well. And when I was there, they probably solve this by now um, but the real key thing we were looking at was utility cupboards so having a standardized utility cupboard where you could have your washing machine all of your services go to and again it, it was similar to the bathroom pods where it gets shipped in it gets pushed into position and everything gets connected up so that's what i mean by regularization um, and it saves a huge amount on your build costs now with sme developers you might spend that extra £200 because you've got five units and it looks better and you fine. But actually, if you take that mentality into um, as you grow as an SME developer, you're going to eat, you're going to eat away at your profit. Um, so you need to be aware of it and conscious that every little decision you make like that and everything that is a different kitchen type or a, a different type of bathroom orientation is going to cost you a huge amount of money in the long run. Are you able on your projects to regularize is that something that you focus on when you get handed it as as a design focused professional do you think how do i regularize this project 
absolutely i mean we've got an example of a project we've got that should get through planning in the next two weeks it's a very it's only a three thousand square foot office space that we're converting into a two-bed flat and a seven-bed hmo and that will be part sell part hold Uh, but the seven-bed hmo all of the shower rooms are identical you know they're 800 deep they're um, 2.4 long and that will just get replicated throughout so any builder going in there who does one can very very quickly knows the layout of the rest of them knows the fittings knows how many tiles it needs knows um, what size tray it's going to be it's simple things like that that you might not think add up to much but when you've got seven of them um, and when you've got 70 of them in larger schemes that's a significant amount of money so yeah i'll always be looking for ways in which we can simplify and regularize the layouts to the point where if we can standardize kitchens and the room is of a you know a, a similar size then that's something that we'll do as well so yes is this quick answer to your question i guess we will always be looking for that because we we spoke on our last uh, podcast episode with a technology company a software company who are trying to identify risks try and manage those risks and try to stop them happening again and again try to build process they try effectively to make a production line mentality for construction which everyone thinks oh you know my project is totally bespoke totally unique i can't do that different projects require different things but what you're alluding to there is similar to what they were trying to say in that you can standardize things and everything is tweaked bit by bit but if you standardize things you will benefit from that with those seven showers and the kitchens that you're talking about would you then try and replicate the design on your next project would you then try and replicate the same kitchen on your next project and get into agreements with the people that are providing those showers and those kitchens in the way that a berkeley homes do yeah, so I, I will have a standard bathroom size and layout that I would want to implement in most of the schemes, likewise with the shower. So 1700 by 2100 is my standard sort of bathroom layout. It's laid out in the same arrangement. It has the same uh, wall-hung toilet system with a similar similar vanity unit, mirrored vanity unit above. And if you go to two of the projects that we finished recently, they've both they've, they've all got very, very similar, similar layouts, um, whether it be mirrored, or you know flipped it's it's the same it's the same basically it's just mirrored so yeah we'll try and replicate those through most of our project it doesn't always work um, but where it can you should actually absolutely try and do so it's also good with materials material ordering you know it's you know how much you need um, and you're buying seven quantities precisely yeah there's there's so many different facets to it yeah 100 percent. and i mean as always on these shows we seem to run out of a little bit of time but one question i wanted to ask you was Whenever I was working on certain projects, I would reflect on them at the end and think about how things could have been different, what I could have done better for my next project. Is there anything on your last project that you will be doing differently on your next project? Yes, and it is something that I think the Berkeley Group did very well. And it's having trackers for everything. Um, we've been quite lax on that front in our in our SME business. And it's back to that regularization and process driven approach you know you you create a standard template that then just gets replicated it means one you're kind of not you're not missing things like a checklist of o&m documentation um we would have had that in the berkeley group but i'm now starting to put those sorts of things into place with our business so that on the next project i'm not running around like a madman trying to think of the things that i need to add to that list um we had trackers for everything it was you know planning trackers building regulation control sign off trackers um and I can understand why now, um, because you f- you f- 
find yourself doing very similar things over and over. So why not try to make it as process driven as you possibly can? It's just going to save time. Regularize, and money regularize, regularization. Regularize. That's what it's all about. <laughs> there, there we go. Okay, great. Well, look, Ben, I would love to speak to you for much, much longer, but we don't have a huge amount of time left. Liam, have you got anything on your mind, my friend? I did have a question if we've got time, actually. Let's do it. Let's do um, it. I, I was going to ask Ben, are there any techniques or methods or ways of work that you used at Berkeley's that you've made the conscious decision to not do uh, with your current business because of the benefit of being an SME as opposed to a large corporate, if you like? Yeah, good question. I can't think of anything off the top of my head. I mean, there, there are things that I wish we used in the Berkeley group, but don't, um, but but didn't, but do now. Things like Asana, project management tool. Um, we didn't have anything like that. I don't think it was really, you know, four years ago, you didn't really have, or, or sort of Trello, Asana, Mondays. It was only kind of just started to be used. So I'd be surprised actually if they didn't have something like that now to help kind of coordinate the team or something like Slack for inter, you know, inter-channel communication. Um, but anything that that we use but don't use now, yeah, good question. Um, You're racking your mind here. Oh, I am. Yeah. I mean, if there, there may not be anything. So uh, yeah, I mean, I, I, I can't think fine. of anything that that was I thought was abs. Uh, obsolete or, or, or kind of useless um no i don't really have an answer to that i'm sorry you have stopped question him. you've stopped yeah. him that wasn't my intention <laughs> you've you've achieved it that cream soda has got something funky in it hasn't it i'll, I'll be lying in bed tonight thinking oh yeah, I, sh- I should have what, said what that I said? Yeah. well you when know. you have the perfect that exactly exactly so Anyway, so thank you so much for coming on to the show, Ben. Been great to have you with us. I'll be dropping your details, Aura Homes uh, details as well, into the podcast description so anyone can reach out. And uh, yeah, thanks so much for coming on the show. Pleasure. Thanks for having me. Yeah, thanks, Ben. Awesome. I will see you next next week, Lynn. I will even see you tomorrow. I'm, it's a lucky week for me, isn't it? Oh, and me too, Paul, and me. <laughs> said with sincerity as ever yeah. alright guys see you next week see ya cheers cheers gents bye